I think like the days of sending out mass press releases are dead. Like, I think that is the worst thing that you can do. And I'm not, I know there's still people that do that. I'm not afraid to say it because I don't like those. I never use them for stories. I want someone to reach out with just a couple sentences to me, personal, you know, make it tailored to a topic that I write about or, or mention a past story. And this is another, you know, something along those lines that would be a fit for me. And let's continue the conversation. I am not kidding you. I am not exaggerating when I tell you this interview with Kelsey is one of my favorite in the history of Become a Media Maven. She is an independent journalist and she is very transparent like I am about all things media industry. And she is talking about all of the things when it comes to PR, small business owners, and journalists, how they can all work together and how they all should work together. She is sharing some secrets to PR success. She is talking about why small business owners should not be intimidated to pitch writers. We go on a little rant about press releases and our thoughts. Well, she doesn't rant, I rant. And we talk about subject lines. She tells us what her inbox looks like and what grabs her attention. Like this is pure gold, people. I am obsessed with this interview and you need to check out the show notes. You need to find her on social. You need to find her website and you need to check out Pitchcraft. I heard of Pitchcraft and I checked it out. But after hearing more about it, I told my team, I went into Slack and I'm like, ladies, do we need this? They're like, hell yeah, we love Kelsey. Let's invest in this. So if you want to know more about that, Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Tap subscribe. You know you want to. You know you want to find out when I post a new episode here on Become a Media Maven. So tap subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your colleagues. I would love for them to hear more amazing episodes like this. Now, here is Kelsey Ogletree. Ever wonder how some people seem to get all the media coverage, but you don't? Go behind the scenes with a TV reporter, national on-air host, and news contributor who has interviewed celebrities, took you inside the Versace mansion, and even stood on a chair to interview basketball legend Alonzo Mourning. Get ready, because Become a Media Maven is the podcast where Christina Nicholson is sharing secrets from her years in front of the camera, in the editing booth, and now behind the podcast mic. Kelsey, welcome to Becoming Media Maven. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I am so excited to have you. I've been wanting to have you on forever because I love what you do. You are an independent journalist and you are so transparent about what you do and how you do it in a way that it helps the people you're interviewing and it also helps publicist. So not a lot of people are like this. I know I wasn't like it. I was very annoyed by publicists and I just like didn't even want to deal with them. And you are so helpful. So tell me why you are so transparent and you overshare a lot of the behind the scenes of the work you do. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you perceive me that way because transparency is like my middle name. And that's what I'm really um, advocating for in this industry. So what I've found over my like 12 or so years as a journalist is editors are private about what they're working on and what packages they have coming up, which makes it hard for freelancers. 
Freelance writers are often dodgy about what they're working on, which makes it hard for publicists to pitch them. And also I find on the other side, like publicists are often a little bit dodgy about who their clients are that they work with. Like I've noticed their websites are very vague most of the time. And like, it's hard to find out like, who are they actually representing now? I don't know if that's from like a competition point of view, they don't want it out there or something like that. But I'm really an advocate for all three sides communicating what they want, because that can help all of us do our jobs better, right? So um, I have, well, we'll get into this later, but I have a program called Pitch Trap that really is designed to help reveal that on all three sides and, and help um, increase that transparency across the media industry. Let's get into it now. What is Pitchcraft? I mean, I know it's a platform that connects people in PR with journalists, but tell me how it all works. Sure. So I'll take you back a little bit. In March 2020, I, on a whim, announced in my newsletter, like right after the world closed down from the pandemic, that I was going to just have an open forum to talk about what was happening in the media, just, you know, discuss what was going on and how to pitch writers during that time. Um, to my surprise, I had 100 people sign up, filled up my Zoom quota, and was like blown away by the amount of interest in PR in having a forum to connect with writers. And so over the course of two years, I kind of built out all these different monthly workshops where I built on, um, brought on other freelance writer guests to talk about what they were working on, started bringing some editors into the mix to explain their processes and what they were working on, how people could pitch them. And what I kept hearing from people is that after these workshops ended, they really wanted to stay connected with those people they were on the workshop with, um, meaning other, other PR. So I started thinking about last summer, really how I could kind of evolve this workshop series into a year-round community and platform. So the evolution of that became Pitchcraft. And we launched in December 2021. So we're about almost nine months in now. And what we are is a platform for independent publicists, small brands, in-house PR people to really get on there and connect with journalists, with editors, and with each other. So we have a series of resources we offer on there. We do weekly interviews with one journalist every week and really get into the nitty gritty of who they are as a person, what they like to write about, what they're working on. Um, we have monthly discussions where we talk about um, a specific topic that's really pertinent to the industry at that time. So for example, we just had four weeks of workshops focused around pitching holiday gift guides in July and August. Um, and then we have breakout brainstorms every Friday, which are weekly calls for the members to get on and talk with each other. Um, most of the people that are in our Pitchcraft membership are independent PR pros. So they don't have anyone to talk shop with, you know, on a daily basis. Um, so they really love that community and getting to know and network with these other publicists. We've had a lot of collaborations come out of it. Um, people can just bring to the table any challenge that they have. Like, for instance, like I'm really struggling on pitching this festival that I have coming up? Like, does anyone have any ideas or contacts? And so that's a big part of our Friday sessions is, you know, just sharing that collective information and being super collaborative. Um, and then we have a couple other resources in there related to e-commerce and affiliate programs, and then a master pitching calendar that we've curated of media kits of dozens and dozens of publications, put them into an easy to read um, calendar database so that you can easily go to say like the month of September, what deadlines are coming up and here's the contacts, here's how to pitch them, everything you need right in front of you. So overall, our goal is building relationships, community, and helping these publicists to work smarter and not harder. That's amazing. And it sounds like a shit ton of work on your end. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I live and breathe this stuff and 
everything you see coming out from me on Twitter or my Instagram or my newsletter is, is genuine because I really do believe that this relationship based pitching is the way forward with media. And also that freelance writers are the way forward with media. I think we have fewer and fewer editors and smaller teams on staff. And so it really, really pays off for publicists to network and get to know these freelance writers. So um, this is, I'm still a freelance writer. I call myself an independent journalist because I want to be more strategic in the way that I do that. Um, I would say about, that's probably about 25% of my work and about 75% of my time now is spent on Pitchcraft and curating that content. That's amazing. And if people want to check it out, um, I will link to that in the show notes. Um, and it's the, the beginning rate is $2.99 a month and then it goes up from there. Yeah. So our rate is $2.99 a month with a year long commitment or a $3.49 a month, month to month. If you'd like to just try it out. Got it. Perfect. Okay. Let's move on to the writing portion. You cover food, travel, and golf. How did you settle on those niches? Like, how did you even get started? Because I feel like so many people want to do a little bit of writing. Maybe it's not a full-time thing. Maybe it'll be a part-time thing. And it's like, well, where do I even get started? Do I have to know somebody to get in? And how do I get paid for this? Because a lot of people are writing for major outlets for free or they're paying. Don't even get me started on this. Or they are paying outlets to write for them. Well, I'm a big believer that you should really work in editorial at a job before you try to be a freelance writer. That might be old school now. I see a lot of Gen Z coming right out of college and saying, like, my goal is to be an independent writer. And that's great. But for me, I got to where I am by, like, forming the relationships and the building blocks through mentors in editorial jobs that I had at a business publication, a lifestyle magazine, and then a kind of mix. Um, it was a meetings and events focused magazine, which is how I really got into the travel space. Um, I got laid off from that job in 2017 unexpectedly and decided to just try pitching publications, even though I'd been an editor, I feel like I really didn't know how to pitch at that point. I had a few friends um, that I'd gone to Medill grad school with who worked at big publications, like real simple, and they gave me some assignments. So I, you know, I kind of first started getting my bylines out there. And it's really a ripple effect. Like once you get one or two of those in like these big national well-known outlets, like it's easier to say like, Hey, I write for this publication, this publication, would you be interested in this idea for me? Um, so that was really like important to me and like having those people that really helped me to get those, those first assignments. Um, my first three years of freelancing, I was all over the place. Like I would write about anything, anything I saw that could be a story idea. I would pitch it. I would take a lot of assignments from editors that were just like totally random things about like air purifiers or gardening or like, I mean, anything you can think of, it was so random and it kind of became draining after a while, but it was nice to figure out like what I actually enjoyed writing about and what was just, you know, sort of filler um, to fill my time. So I really honed in on things that I really like to write about and that are like personal passions of mine. And it's taken me a long time to get there. I mean, I've been a freelance writer now for like, I guess I'm almost in my sixth year and golf is something that I've done since I was a child. And I never really tried that hard to write about it because it was something I kept separate. But I've realized the more I've done this, that like the things that I'm personally passionate about are the things that I can write the best about. And so that's sort of why I've transitioned into like owning like, these are the things that I love to do. And I also write about these things. So that's kind of how golf has become one of my um, 
forties and also within travel. Like if you're a travel writer, you can write about any place in the world. You can write about food, you can write about culture, art, like so many different things within that. And so I think it's important to kind of niche down into like some aspect of travel. Like what are you known for? And so for me lately, I moved to the Southeast, um, to Alabama in 2020. And I really love visiting small towns down here. I love telling the stories of smaller places that you can't just, you know, read a million stories about. I used to live in Chicago. So it was like a different game to try to compete with writers covering the city of Chicago. But if I write about small towns across the South, like that's something that's more of a niche to me. I love going to visit them. I can find cool things in them. I know who to talk to. I know how to report those stories. So that's really become like sort of a niche of mine as well. And then within food, um, I don't really do like restaurant reviews or anything like that. Like I'm really focused on the stories behind food or ingredients. I personally love to bake. I love dessert. So I love telling stories about, you know, desserts with history or like desserts that tell a lot about the culture of an area or things like that. So I've kind of, every year I've done this, I've continued to like sit down at the beginning of the year and, and say like, what am I going to focus on? And I feel like I'm finally at a place where I know like my parameters for what I want to write about. And that helps me also to go through my pitches quicker because I can immediately tell like if it fits into one of my pillars or it doesn't. So when you say that, how does it work? And I think it works a couple of ways. I have contributed to outlets. I get paid to write a little bit, but it's by no means a full-time part-time gig. So when you're doing it on a regular basis, do you come up with the ideas and pitch these outlets where you have contacts or are these outlets telling you, we want a story on this, go write it. Or is it a mixture of both? It's a mixture of both. And I would say the more experience you get, the more you're getting the assignments, which is a benefit because all the time you spend <clears throat> crafting those pitches, waiting to hear back from editors, working on new ideas, that's unpaid time as a freelancer, right? So you ideally want to minimize that. So if you're getting assignments where you can just immediately start working on this paid assignment from a, from an editor, that's the best case scenario. Um, the trade-off sometimes is if it's something you don't aren't particularly passionate about, but it's kind of this fine art of working with an editor, pitching them ideas that they accept, that they like your writing, you do a good job. They get to know like what your brand is as a writer, and then they assign you more stories like that. So that's the position that I've been very fortunate to kind of work myself into with some of my regular outlets, like AARP, the magazine, for example, I write for them almost every issue. Most of my stories for them are now assigned to me because I've pitched them for a long time. They like my work. They know what I cover for them now. Um, but as far as like how it works, like if you are just cold pitching an outlet, the editor obviously has to actually assign it to you for a specific rate. Um, a lot of times it's just a project rate or it might be a per word rate um, capped at a certain level. And then um, when you submit the assignment to them, they will either ask for your invoice right away or they'll have to like officially accept it and go through edits with you before they'll accept your invoice. Um, it's tough out there for freelancers because you have to have a lot in the hopper because if you say you write a story in August, you might not actually get paid on that story till like November, just based on the time frame, or sometimes later. Um, some outlets pay on publication, some pay on acceptance, um, some have payment terms that are net 10 days, some have 60 days. I know like the bigger um, companies are going to longer and longer payment terms, which is something that is a struggle for many freelance writers. And I think really needs to change. I know Dot Dash Meredith has been updating their contracts to be 60 days from acceptance. That's a long time to wait. And so you really have to balance your calendar and 
you know, your, your income month to month can be unpredictable depending on when those payments actually come through. So a lot of freelance writers that I know myself included balance that with a lot of corporate work, which is a little bit more dependable and tends to be higher paying. So things like writing eBooks or blogs or white papers or things like that for corporate clients on a monthly retainer basis, or, you know, they typically have shorter payment terms as well might be receipt the invoices due upon receipt or something. And so those tend to be, you know, what really like stabilizes your income as a freelancer. And you have to be super organized to keep track of the work you're doing, when you're doing the work, who you're invoicing, when you're getting paid, and then you're wearing all of the hats because you are your own marketer, you are your own salesperson, and then you are actually doing the servicing. Like it's a lot that people don't realize. And then on top of that, you need to make enough money doing it to make a living. Yeah, absolutely. And I have always considered myself like a type A organized person, but if you look back five years ago, like my systems are so much more sophisticated now than they were then. Um, you also have to think about taxes and how you're managing your bank accounts um, for quarterly taxes as a freelancer, which is something that is new for a lot of people if you're used to working at a nine to five like corporate job um, that takes a lot of time. So I think you really have to dedicate time out of your week um, days or block hours where you're researching and interviewing, where you're specifically only pitching, which is the marketing for yourself, whether um, when you're actually um, doing all your accounting and admin work, which is sending the invoices, following up on late invoices, which you have to do all the time, you know, checking in with people about different statuses of things, um, managing edits that might come in. Maybe you submit a piece on the 15th and you think you're done with it. And two weeks later, you have a whole new list of assignments on your plate and an editor comes back and needs all these changes by tomorrow. And so the actual like writing part um, is not what we do all day. I mean, I would say writing is probably like, like 40% of my freelancing, like the other 60 is just like managing and keeping track of everything, thinking of ideas. I mean, it's just, there's so much that goes into it. Like writing is actually like the least stressful part of it. I could see that. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about you being pitched. Whether or not you're pitched by a publicist or a small business owner, I work with a lot of small business owners and I teach them how to pitch the media. So for the people in my mentoring program or who come to my boot camps, what would you say to them when they say, I'm not even going to reach out to Kelsey because my business is too small. I'm not making enough money. Nobody knows about me. I didn't realize this when I was a journalist, but so many small business owners have this mentality and they don't put themselves out there for that reason. I see that a lot, just living in a small town now and being from a smaller town, people are very like overly humble in what they do and think that they're not good enough for national media. And the reason that you see these bigger companies and and businesses in bigger cities in the media more often is because they have PR teams. I mean, they're the ones hiring someone else to like get them out there. And so I would love, love to hear from more small business owners. You know, it doesn't have to be long. You don't have to spend an hour crafting an email to me. I think, you know, keep it, tell me who you are. Tell me where you're based. That's very important city and state and tell me what makes you unique. And I would love to hear from more people like that, you know, keep it to 250 words and me a link to your website. Tell me what makes you cool. I mean, um, I, I don't think that, writers hear from those kinds of people enough. And I'm really someone who wants to champion those smaller brands and 
honestly, editors and publications love to champion them too, but a lot of times we just don't hear about them. Um, if you're a business that's never been featured in the media and you think you're too small, I mean, that that's gold for me. Like if no one's ever written about you, my editors can love it. If you have a cool story and no one else has covered you, not only is my editor probably going to love it and pitch me the, or assign me the story, which, you know, was profitable for my business, but we can help you get that coverage and ultimately like help you grow your sales and your business. If it's something that, you know, offers a product or a service or things like that. And, you know, say I write about you for Southern living, like then you can feature on your website, like as featured in Southern living that adds credibility to you. So it's not just about like being able to say like, Oh, here's an article written about me. Like there's so many ways you can leverage that to actually grow your business. And that's, something that I'm passionate about is, you know, we're not out here just telling stories for fun. Like ultimately the goal with this is to improve all of our businesses, right? Like I, I want to professionally succeed by writing more stories. Like I want your business to succeed by giving you the exposure to more people who are going to buy your stuff. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like amen to everything you just said. And when I was in TV, I liked talking to the smaller guys better than the bigger guys. Cause the bigger guys made it a pain in the ass. Like they wanted to bring their PR team and have their publicist stand beside me and tell me what to cover and what to say and how to say this and how to do this. When the smaller guys are just so excited for the coverage, they make themselves available at the drop of the hat and they give you everything you need. It's so true. And often they're more candid, right? They don't have a script from doing this 20 times and they come off as a very genuine person with, you know, real expertise to share, which is what we love as journalists. A hundred percent. Okay. What stands out to you in a pitch? Because there are, I mean, you, there's a million things people could pitch you. What stands out and makes you say, okay, this is good. I'm going to pitch this to the wall street journal, or I'm going to share this with AARP. I really like trend pitches. So if someone comes to me with something that says, I've noticed, here's a stat about this increasing or decreasing or something. And here's my small role that I play in it here are some other ideas that could maybe fit along these lines. Like, would you be interested in learning more? Don't give me a thousand word write-up of what you think this story should be like. Present me with the facts, why you would be someone who could be part of this story. And then let's talk more if I'm interested. So example of this, um, last year I had someone approach me saying like, we've noticed there's a X percentage increase in people saying that they're interested in being like sober curious or, or abstaining from alcohol. And we have a hotel that's launching this big, like um, focus on creative mocktails that you actually want to drink and don't feel like you're missing out and just having like orange juice. Um, we, you know, we're seeing this as a trend across other hotels like this and this as well. Like, would you be interested in discussing more like that caught my eye because in travel, like I love to cover trend pieces. And that's something that I am known for doing in travel and leisure print. And I'm always pushing my editor those stories. So that immediately caught my eye as like, okay, this is a legit thing because there's data to back it up. It's timely. I already have one source I know and a couple others to look into. Like it just kind of like teed everything up for me as a jumping off point. And then, you know, I had a phone call with the publicist and did a lot more research on it, but that was like a great pitch that just got my wheels turning about a larger trend that ended up being a print feature in the magazine. That's awesome. That is a good pitch. I always tell people statistics and data are good because that's what gives it like the newsworthiness. And I feel like if you were pitched that without that, because I do know that is a trendy thing. And, but I feel like if you were pitched that without the stats and data and it was just like, 
here's mocktails at a hotel, you probably would not have been interested. You'd been like, okay, yeah, so what? Like, who cares? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes, you know, I think a lot of pitches just take the liberty of like asserting something as a trend without anything to back it up. And well, that's fine. I mean, if you're seeing it anecdotally, that's one thing, but like editors are going to need more from me than that. So, you know, I'm a big advocate and teach people within Pitchcraft how to use things like Google Trends and really find that data and show that something is on the rise or there's a higher search volume for it. There's more SEO value for this. Um, Another thing you can do is turn to like associations that release annual reports or, you know, there's a lot of different organizations within travel that put out annual like travel trends or things like that. Like if you can cite reports from these types of places that are doing like this legitimate research that goes a lot into like backing up that this is an actual idea. I freaking love it. I could talk to you all day. I think you're doing like amazing things for people, not just people in the industry, but honest to God, small business owners who have to act as their own publicist. Like it's so helpful for them to hear this stuff because they have no idea and they don't even know where to start. So like what you're doing is so helpful. Is there anything else you want to add that I should have asked? I am going to link to Pitchcraft in the show notes to your website, your Instagram, Twitter, and your LinkedIn. By the way, I have been obsessed with those articles that you mentioned. I've seen them on LinkedIn, like the small town stuff, like where you go and where you visit. I'm like, this is so freaking cool. Like you make me want to go to like the middle of nowhere because you make it look so cool. I have been loving seeing you post those on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I, you know, you, you've touched a lot about small business owners and that's one thing that I'm really passionate about helping people, you know, kind of overcome those barriers to entry and understand that it's not intimidating to pitch writers and that there's an easy way to find writers who would be interested in covering you. And within Pitchcraft, we're actually launching a new product in the next few months called Pitchcraft 101. And that's really designed for small business owners as, you know, like an eight part course to really teach you like, what is media? What are freelance writers? How do you find one? How do you reach out? How do you pitch them? Like, this is what they're going to ask you and, and really prepare and have a roadmap to, you know, to getting their first placement in the media and make it seem easy because it is. I mean, if you just are strategic about it and pick the right person at the right time, um, you can be well on your way to getting your first feature. And it's really not as intimidating or hard as it sounds. And a lot of freelance writers want to hear from you. And what do you think the biggest mistake is that people make, not just small business owners, but publicists as well, when they're pitching? Like, what are some of the worst pitches you've gotten and why? I would say the worst pitches are just ones for things that I don't cover at all, because I get hundreds of emails a day from publicists. And I really try to get to the ones that, you know, I think that could be a fit for me. Sometimes it takes me a long time to get back to people for that reason. But if you're, if I'm getting 50 emails a day from publicists who are pitching me things on like, you know, random things that I would never write about, that just clogs up my inbox and makes it harder for me to find the good ones. So I would say just be really strategic and like, like deciding who to pitch, like don't blast email anymore. Like, I think like the days of sending out mass press releases are dead. Like, I think that is the worst thing that you can do. And I'm not, I know there's still people that do that. I'm not afraid to say it because I don't like those. I never use them for stories. I want someone to reach out with just a couple sentences to me, personal, you know, make it tailored to a topic that I write about or or mention a past story. And this is another, you know, 
something along those lines that would be a fit for me and let's continue the conversation. And I'm totally open to like, I don't think all of us need to live on email, right? Like it takes up so much of our daily lives and like, what do we have to show for it sometimes? So if someone pitches me a great idea, like, yeah, let's get on the phone and talk about it and like turn this into something like, let's just not constantly email all this information back and forth. Like it's information overload. So sometimes it's, you know, the best thing to do is send a quick idea and then let's get on the phone and talk about it. Just like we are now. I love that. Something that I have, it's actually the headline on my website. It says, stop writing press releases. It's not 1990. (laughs) We're on the same page then. We're on the same page. That's what it makes me think of. Like I remember watching last year, I watched this Netflix documentary about um, the killer, Ted Bundy. And they were interviewing the police and they were like, how are you letting everybody know? Like he's going from this state to this state and we're looking for him. And the, the sheriff was like, oh, I'm sending out press releases. I'm like, okay, dude, it's in the late seventies when this happened. And people still think that's going to work today. Like, no, the last thing Kelsey wants in her inbox with hundreds of other emails is your long, boring, overly promotional press release. Exactly. With like the fake quotes, like no one wants to use those anymore. I mean, the exception might be like a news outlet that's covering something very specific to their industry or something. But in general, I mean, press releases, you don't need them, like get rid of them and and focus on building relationships. How do you sift through a hundred emails a day, a hundred plus emails a day? Like you can't open and read all of those. You would, that would be your full-time job. What do you do? Um, It's hard. Um, I have to be very strategic and not being like reactive to what comes into my inbox and just like block time to look at it. Subject lines are really important. Like get to the point. I, I don't like it when people will say like idea for Kelsey or, you know, just like a one word something in the subject line that tells me nothing about why you're reaching out, um, be specific in there so that I, it makes me want to open it, um, and actually read more. I mean, there's so many times where I think like, oh, that subject line is not interesting to me. I don't even have time to look at this. So that's really important. Real estate, make that count. Perfect. Anything else you want to add before we say goodbye? You've been amazing. Like you've been, I am honestly going to tell you one of my favorite guests on this podcast, and I've had it for like a few years now. <laughs> well, swear to God. So I feel like we could talk about this stuff all day long. And, you know, there's just so many ways that if, if we all just do 1% better every day, like we can all make each other's jobs so much easier. So I think that, you know, just continuing to learn from one another and having these conversations about, you know, what do editors want, what a PR want, like no one ever asked PR what they want, you know, um, we do in Pitchcraft, but <laughs> kind of left out of the equation. Um, what do freelance writers want? Like, just making it easy for all three sides to work together. Like that's what it's all about. And, you know, for me, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than Pitchcraft. Like I want to be part of the leaders in like implementing this change in the industry. Like I want this relationship-based pitching to be the new standard one day. And so like, I'm working toward that every day to make that the new normal. And so anyone who joins Pitchcraft is sort of like of that mentality as well. But I really believe that we can get there. Love it. Love you. Love everything you're doing. You're amazing. Well, thanks so much for having me, Christina. I told you that was some good stuff. Like, loved this interview with Kelsey. She's doing so many amazing things. Make sure you check out everything in the show notes for this episode. If you have any questions for me about the media mentoring program or my three-day boot camp, Pitch Publicity Profit, then make sure you head to my website again. Those are also in the show notes for this episode. And you know you can find me on social. I am at Christina All Day. And I hope you make it a great day.